pray for all of us, Lord, that we would be aware of these things, and, and Lord, that we would not put them off, but, but make sure we deal with them. And so, Father, we just once again just thank you that we have these opportunities, lifting your people up in prayer. Pray that we would for always be found faithful to your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, Mark chapter 10, what we have here is is a series of paradoxes. The Lord is actually using five paradoxes to instruct us in living a life that is worthy of who he is and what he's about to do. He had just mentioned to his disciples that he is going to be crucified. Matter of fact, he's mentioned it a couple times, but unfortunately, they're just not really hearing it. They're just not getting it. But he is preparing them. It's about six months before the cross, and he's preparing them for that time, that time when he will no longer physically be with them, but how they're to take up their crosses and how they are to move forward in God's glorious gospel. And I was just talking about it with Sean before service, just, or, or maybe it was Dwight, the children's minister. It was. It was the children's ministers before service. And uh, we were just talking about the people that God uses. It's just common people. I mean, the, people the Bible is filled with people that if they are around in our day, they would be our neighbors. They would be our co-workers. And God does miraculous things through common people. Well, he's got this group of common people, and he's teaching, and teaching them and training them for all that he would have for them. And again, that one day, they're going to see him. They didn't stick around, but knowing that he was going to be hung upon the cross, that he was going to be crucified, and so the Lord is preparing them for the ministry that is to come after that time. The first paradox that we saw is the two that become one in the confines of marriage, verses 2 through 12. I'm not going to read through it, but again, we'll go through just a, uh, a bit of review of what we talked about last week. And again, Jesus is still expanding upon what he had taught about in chapter 8, verses 34 through 35, the necessity to take up our cross and to follow him. And he's also illustrating the the misunderstanding that the disciples have and the attempt to bring them into understanding through God's word. And so when it comes to marriage, it's the perfect illustration. Marriage, marriage would be, and pretty much everybody here, not everybody, but understands this, it's one of the most difficult things that a person will ever do. Two people that are having to die to themselves to take up their cross daily for the purpose, the strengthening, the edification of one another. And the more difficult the marriage relationship is, the greater the opportunity to be great in God's kingdom by humbling yourself before the other person and really before the Lord. We looked at four things, again, just in way of review and what God wants to see in a marriage. There's the dedication to our differences. We saw this in verse 6. It says, from the beginning, he created them. God made them male and female. And we know that he made them that way to make them, to create them in his image. She is not to be created in my image. I'm not to try and recreate her in my image. Me? Well, she's not to try and recreate me in her image, but we are created in the image of God, and as we are together, we fulfill that image. God made that very clear even in the beginning in the book of Genesis. He made them in his image. He made them male and female. And so my wife and myself, whoever it is in this church who's married, wherever, whoever is listening, God has brought the two of you together ideally to fulfill his image through the work of ministry. 
Secondly, marriage is a desire for departure. In verse 7, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. That my wife and I, at that point of our marriage, we were to move on. We were to move on in a new life, in a different direction, to fulfill all that God has for us. And so our children, our grandchildren, the ministry that God gave us, for us it's pastor, but not for everybody, obviously it's going to be that. But whatever it is that God has called you to, God has called you to move on from a point to fulfill all that he has. It's what the Apostle Paul said, to reach forward to that higher calling in Christ Jesus. And we must be a people who are faithful in that. And what a blessing it is to do that together. My wife and I, it's a teaching a class at the Bible College, as I've pointed out before. We leave Wednesday afternoon and we come back Thursday afternoon. We spend the night at my, daughter's Kel- my daughter Kelly's house. But it's a blessing just to be able to be in that car together, to spend that time, to be able to talk together, but just have that time together. And... It just is that that reminds me of, and and that's one of the most essential things that I see in marriage, is the team that God has called us to be. As I've said before, there's that amazing miracle that happens through the giving and receiving of vows, and that God causes the two to become one. And as he causes the two to become one, you're of that mindset, that same mindset. Now, it takes time, and there's trial and error, and all of these things, but no longer is it Mike and Terry. No, it's Mike and Terry. I mean, just think of the married couples that you know. You usually think of them in the confines of the two of them. You know, Dwight and Nancy, you know, whoever it might be, you think of it that way because, again, they've left, but they've moved forward together. Marriage is also a devotion to decision, verse 7. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And in God's sight, that's a permanent attachment to one another. And then fourthly, marriage. Marriage is an adherence to dependency. Verse 8, and the two shall become one flesh, so then they are again. It's just this miracle that God does in marriage. That which we must hold dear, that which we must pray for the younger generation, but also embraces the older generation. Why one flesh? Because it's not good that man should be alone. Why is it not good that man should be alone? Because it takes two to fulfill the image of God and those God has called to be married. The second paradox, adults seen as children, verses 13 through 16. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. And surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. His point would be to be childlike, but not childish, that we would seek out the Lord for all of our needs, just as a child does. Child looks to us for his daily nourishment, his daily care, his provision. And we are to come to Christ in that same way, looking to Christ for all of our needs. And especially as a man, I can kind of think along the line, I'll work harder. I'll be more intense. But that's not always what God wants. God just simply wants us to seek after him, to seek first the kingdom of God. And what does he say happens when we do that? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all of these things, all of our necessities will be added to us. 
And so the Lord desires that we would seek after him. I enjoyed being the provider for my children to a degree. Not that I enjoyed getting up for work every day, but that's what God has called me to do. But there was that blessing to give good gifts to my children and to bless them and whatnot. And God wants us to be as those children coming to him. He is God Almighty. He is able to provide for all of our needs. In Philippians 4.19, we're told, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And again, it's these promises that we have in the scripture that not only do we have to pay attention, we must embrace these things. I mean, again, I just read that and I read it pretty quickly, but do you take time to meditate upon God's word? And my God, our God is a personal God. Paul called him his God. Paul, you're wrong. He's my God. But you should say, Pastor Mike, no, you're wrong. He's my God. Well, we know he's our God. But our God, because he's such a personal God, shall, that's definite, he's going to do this, supply all of your need, how? According to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Can you imagine the riches that are available to us through God? Again, just through all of the power of the Lord and the provision of the Lord, we just understand and come to the realization that God spoke all of creation into existence is the God who is able to provide for our need. So consider this tonight, whether you're watching on the internet or here at the church, what is your need? Not you want, but what is your need? Your God, that personal God, because he's your God, will provide what your need is. And how much more so when it seems hopeless and it seems out of control. That's when God is truly glorified. The third paradox is the rich shall be poor. We saw this in this story, real story, of the rich young ruler, verses 17 through 22. As I pointed out last week, there are over 490 verses of faith. There are 500 plus verses of prayer, but there are over 2,000 verses that deal with finances. In the gospel, one out of every 10 verses deal with money or possessions. And so this is a reality in all of our lives. The things that you have, the things that God has blessed you with, you've worked hard for those things. And so those things, they can, keeping them in proper perspective, but they can be dear to us as well. Well, this rich young ruler, he's a man who completely lost perspective. He lost perspective of his riches, they have consumed him, but also even his own self-righteousness in that he had an improper perspective of who he is. This rich young ruler is the only time in scriptures that a person comes to Christ, he approaches Christ, he kneels down before Christ and leaves worse off than when he had first come. See, his problem, once again, he was approaching Jesus Christ based upon his own righteousness and not the righteousness of the Lord. Good teacher, what do I need? And Jesus basically tells him to keep the commandments. And he says, these I have done. And so Jesus, again, goes basically to the first one, uh, you shall have no other gods before me, and tells him to go and sell all that he has. But he can't do that. Why? Because in actuality, that was his God. And he was unwilling and unable to give up. And so he went away very sorrowful. And so this young man approaching God based upon his own righteousness. Now consider that. Consider that in your prayer time. Consider that in the time that you spend in the word. Just any time that you spend with the Lord. How do we approach God? And when I mean, say approach God, 
you know, literally approaching Christ here, but as far as us, as I'm sitting down with my Bible, as I'm preparing for prayer, there's got to be the awareness that of here there's nothing desirous in the sight of God other than my heart. And I cannot approach God based upon any works of righteousness which he has done. But I can approach God and he has allowed us to do so based upon the works of righteousness that he has done. We're able to approach God based upon his grace and his mercy and the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand the magnitude of what God went through so that you can pray. Jesus died on the cross so that the gates of heaven would be opened up so that you would be able to enter into the throne room of God and offer your prayers before the Father. It's an amazing thing. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you would be able to have interaction through God, through the Word, and that the Word of God, it's illuminated by who the Lord Jesus Christ truly is. And again, God wants to have this personal relationship. Self-righteousness, well, from cover to cover, it's going to hinder what God wants to do. Again, who were the most direct words that Jesus had? Again, rebukes that Jesus had. It was against the self-righteous religious community of the time. But the people who humbly approached the Lord, those are the people that the Lord received unto himself. This rich young ruler... Well, he had everything that society values, but he had absolutely nothing that fulfills. He understood that something was still missing. That's why he approached the Lord even in the first place. And really what this story of the rich young ruler is, it's an illustration of the previous point. Coming to the Lord Jesus Christ as a little child, but he wasn't doing that. He was coming, trying to approach Jesus Christ based upon who he is. The fourth paradox that we saw You must leave in order to receive. Look at verse 28. I believe this is where we left off last week. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Peter's looking at this, and and Peter's just really, this isn't a prideful thing or anything. Peter's just wanting confirmation based upon what he's done. He's looked at this rich young ruler, and as he's seen this rich young ruler, it's probably somebody who's pretty impressive in the society, but as he approaches Christ, he goes away sorrowful. And now it's caused Peter to consider, Peter to think about this. He's not looking for riches, but he wants Jesus to justify what he's done. He's left his old life. He's left his, his fishing business, and now he's given all to follow Christ. But now he's been told that Jesus is going to be crucified and, and is going to die. And, and just consider that, that here's this man who we believe is, is truly the Messiah. Here's this man that is performing all of these miracles, just amazing things that are going on. I've left all of my life to follow him. I'm all in. And now he says he's going to die. Lord, what's to happen to us? And again, I, I had this, I had to deal with this when I, when I came to Christ. And you've probably had to deal with this to a certain degree with family members or maybe friends. How much time are you spending at that church? willing to give up your time because you understand the magnitude of what Christ, what has occurred upon the cross and the great riches that you have in store for you. How much money do you give to that church? I've been asked literally that. How much do you give to that church? Church, unfortunately, because of what we see on TV, it's got a bad reputation in this area. But 
we, we give them to the Lord as an expression of our heart and our adoration and appreciation to what he has done, but also for the purpose of what he wants to do. And again, we, 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 as you give in the body of Christ, we're able to come together and do things that are even beyond our ability. We did that other night as we had our, our trunk or treat. Um, we're we're going to be having a clothing, not a clothing drive, but a blanket or sleeping bag drive for the homeless in Ontario. As we get going, we're still looking to partner with Mercy House. It's a slow process, but we are making progress and moving forward in that. And the idea is, is to step outside of ourselves, to give of ourselves based upon this great future that we have in store for us, willing to leave those things, maybe even, that we thought so important or necessary in our lives. Paul even understood this concept of riches versus holiness and all in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 through 14. He said, But those who desire to be rich, rich young ruler, fall into temptation. So those whose main priority of life is to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The thing about it is, he's not talking about the heathen here. If you remember what the theme of 1 Timothy is, so that you would know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. And so here he's talking about people that are within the church. And he says in verse, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, we're talking to the godly people here tonight, not those godless people that are other churches, but godly people in Ontario. But you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee the things that you are unable to stand against. And he says, flee those things, but pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay whole of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Now you look, if the effort that was put into... I can't remember who I was talking about, but we were just considering the things that have happened in the last 20, 30, even 50 years. Just all the thought, all the energy and effort that has been put into things like a computer. You know, we take these things for granted, but if you had to make a computer from scratch, if you had to make the little diodes and resistors and transistors, you just flat out wouldn't be able to do that. You just look at the genius that was involved in that. Look at your cell phone the genius that is involved in that. Um, you know, TV, just, just all of the, the internet, and just all of that. Just think, if all of that energy, effort, if all of that was put into the gospel, put into the, the, the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ, just, just think of how effective that would be. Well, I, I was considering that and just thinking, it's all about the Holy Spirit and a common person. It's, it's all about just a, a simple people who are sold out to the Lord, who have their priorities in a good perspective, have a good perspective of our priorities, that are truly seeking first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness. Peter, again, still needs to learn the lesson. We have the benefit of the word of God, although at times we'll probably be of that same mindset as well. But Lord... What is to come from all of us? 
and that we, we've changed our priorities. We still have to make a living and all that kind of stuff, but no longer is that our priorities. But Lord, you're the priority. And so Peter would be of the mindset, Lord, the rich young ruler, he cannot leave everything, but we have, Lord, what's to become of us? Verse 29, so Jesus answered and said, and surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father, mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And so what Jesus is talking about is is making him and the kingdom of God our number one priority. As we make that our priority, we receive so much more than we could even imagine. I've got a couple of contrasts here to what we've given up versus what's in store for us. So we'll look at Genesis and Revelation. In Genesis, there's heavens and earth created. In Revelation, there's a new heaven and a new earth that is going to be so much more glorious. In Genesis, chapter 1, verse 16, we see the sun created. But in Revelation, chapter 21, verse 23, there's no need for sun. You're going to live. You're going to bask in the glory of God. Night is established in Genesis, chapter 1. Revelation 22, there's not going to be any light. Why? Because we will forever be in the glory of God. When we are with the Lord, you will never not be with the Lord. The seas were created in chapter 1. There's going to be no more seas. To the Jewish mind, the seas were a place of death and a place of cursing, and so that's going to be placed aside. The curse is announced in Genesis chapter 3, but in Revelation chapter 22, what we have stored for us, no more curse. Death enters history in chapter 3 of Genesis, but in Revelation 21, there's not going to be any more death in that we will have eternal life. Man is driven from the tree in chapter 3, but in Revelation 22, man is restored back to paradise. Chapter 3, there's sorrow and pain. It's when they began, but in chapter 21, verse 41, no more tears or pain. And so... What are you holding on to in the old life? What is it that we really want that is of this world, that is of that great a priority? Relationships, without a doubt. When a brother or sister passes away, it breaks our heart, and and it should. There's just no doubt about it. It's, It's an absolute. But we so look forward to being with those people again. We so look forward to being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they could truly understand the magnitude of what is happening here, what Jesus is talking about, that his death is just going to open up such a glorious future. And so this is why we can seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because of what we have stored up for us. This life, this life is so temporary, it's described as a vapor. And the riches of these things, at some point we see in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, they are literally all going to burn, but the things of the Lord, the things of the Lord are set before us for all eternity. The last paradox, the road to great status is through humble service. James and John kind of are seeking after the Lord and looking for position, but Jesus is going to show them exactly what that means and what's going to be required. Verse 32, Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. 
Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. The third day he will rise again. So basically this is the third time that he has repeated this for in order for them to get the point. But now we've got James and John that kind of see an opportunity here. Verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. What they're asking for when Jesus is in his glory, when he has his glorified body, remember they saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration, when, when you're sitting on your throne, give us that position of authority and privilege is what they're looking for here. Verse 38, but Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, again in their ignorance, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand, And on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. They were jealous of their ambition here. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, they're going to see Christ upon the cross, but James and John, they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're going to stand boldly for the Lord and the things of the Lord. James is going to be the first of the apostles who were martyred for his faith and that he was going to be beheaded. John, John died a natural death, but went through much tribulation. It can be even easier to die for the Lord than it is to live for the Lord. But both of these men, they bookend all the other apostles. And again, James was the first to go. John was the last. But nonetheless, their life, their life was for the Lord. Because all of the apostles, with the exception, obviously, of Judas, they learned their lesson. And so that cup that the Lord drank is the death to self for the benefit of others. And that can be a really hard cup to drink. To what degree are you willing to die for yourself, allow hardship to happen to you, uh, allow people to put you down, speak evil of you for the purpose of the glory of God, but those things happening in the midst of it, are you able to drink that cup? Are you able to have people do wrong to you for God's purposes and God's reason and for their edification and just to continue to push forward? And again, it's one of those things we can nod yes to, but when it happens, it can be a really difficult thing. 
and even looking back in the confines of marriage, in the confines of the various relationships that we have, we can so easily become so prideful, we can become self-righteous, even as that rich young ruler did. We can be as James and John, wanting to have this great position, but unwilling or unknowing even of what the price to pay truly is. And the question is, are you able to drink from the cup of self-sacrifice for the benefit of others? It's the reason for the church. It's the reason that we give, that we would, I'm sorry, the reason that we exist here, that we would give of ourselves and that as we give of ourselves, as we humble ourselves, it will be for the spiritual benefit of others. It's that which makes perfect sense, but again, can be so hard to do. So these paradoxes, to become one, adults seen as children, the rich shall become poor, you shall leave in order to receive and the road to great status is through humble service. Paradoxes that the world does not understand, but truths of the Christian faith that we need to work upon and see accomplished come to pass within our life. And then in verses 46 through 52, we'll have a final illustration. Really, one last paradox. It's this man who can't see, but in actuality, he sees better than all of those who are with the Lord. Verse 46, now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called And they called the blind man, saying, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Christ, or came to Jesus. Again, you need to see the typology. Any self-righteousness, he has thrown that aside. He is coming to Jesus, empty and desperate. Verse 51, So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. This man who once was blind now is able to see. Now in Matthew's account, there are two blind men. More than likely Bartimaeus is mentioned because he was probably the one who was the most vocal of the two. Also we know, again, it's one of those things that we see the truthfulness of the story because of the detail. Where I was teaching um, the account of Noah and the flood at uh, the Bible college today, and it, it was interesting. I may have the numbers wrong, but it was in, the, in Noah's 600th year, and the 17th, I don't remember what month it was, on the 17th day that the floods receded. And it's interesting, when God gives all of this detail, he does so that you would know the accuracy of what he's talking about. This man, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, is kind of um, redundant here. Bar means son of, he's the son of Timaeus, and he kind of reiterates that. And so this man was, Timaeus was probably well known, and so his son was known as well. Uh, obviously because he was blind and he sat begging, but also he just had this great need. And so Jericho, Jericho had an an unordinary number of blind people living there. There was a special uh, balm brush that grew in Jericho from which a medicine was made to treat blindness, and many would come to seek a cure. 
again, this certain man, and what was he doing? He was crying out. We're told in Jeremiah 29, 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Well, that word for crying out is he's crying out with all of his heart. He is desperate for that which Jesus Christ has to offer. Again, he threw off his garment, and again, the picture here is throwing off his righteousness, that which the rich young ruler was unwilling to do. He's desiring come to the Lord as this little child because he's in a helpless and even hopeless situation. Just in closing, a couple of lessons here. The first thing is, this man wanted God to move in his life. He wanted the Lord to move in his life. What did he do? He went to where the Lord is moving. We want the Lord to move in our lives. I imagine if we took a poll here, everybody wants God to move in their life. Are you on the side of the road where Jesus walks? Are you in that place of the path where the Lord moves? Uh, he's here. He's here in your Bible. Are you spending time in the Word of God? Because God will move through His Word. His Word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword reaching into the depths of the Uh, of who we are for the purpose of revelation, but also for the purpose of making changes. Here's where Jesus is. Are you a person of prayer? Because he'll move in your prayer time. We've got to be at the place where the Lord is and the Lord is present during our time of prayer. To be at fellowship, kind of speaking to the choir here tonight, but nonetheless, to continue steadfast in fellowship because that's where the Lord is. Isn't he with me when I'm by myself? Yes, but how much more so when we're amongst a group of born-again believers? Everybody here is born again, is filled with the Spirit. You have the presence of God dwelling inside of you for your purposes, but also the purpose of God working through you. How much more so is it essential that we be amongst the brethren? The second thing that I see is he continually cried out to him. We are to pray without ceasing. Those who were there, they couldn't quiet him. He understood that what Christ had to offer and the magnitude of what he was able to do based upon what was shared with him. He couldn't see what Christ had done, but basically shared the word of God that was shared with him. And so this man, this man, again, this last oxymoron, this man who was blind, He could see very clearly who the Lord was. And again, this is the magnitude of his faith. He didn't actually see what Jesus had done, but what he has heard, he believes to the depths of who he is. Rich young ruler again, he could physically see, but was blind to the righteousness of Christ. And then lastly, I see the love and the compassion and the grace of God and how it prevailed. You have this contrast, the rich young ruler, He presented himself as perfect. And how did he leave? Again, verse 22. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And the thing about the rich young ruler, we don't have a clue what happened to him. He just went off into the pages of history. Did he ever get right with the Lord? We don't know. Was he condemned for all of eternity? We don't really know. Somebody who is unwilling to come to Christ based upon Christ's... um, based upon who Jesus Christ is, we just don't know what becomes of that person. Do they ever make that change? Do they ever come? Well, again, if somebody is not walking right with the Lord, there's just always those questions that are there. But as for this blind man, how did he leave? Verse 43, and immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praises to God. You see what this guy's doing? God's done a great work in his life just as he has done in your life. 
it's apparent to all, and that is ministering to other people. And how is he spending his time? He's spending his time following Jesus Christ. Because the one that worked the miracle on that first day, that mighty miracle of salvation in our lives, is the one who is able to work in our lives every single day of our life. But you've got to be in the place where the Lord is moving. You must be in his word, you must be in prayer, and you must be in fellowship. If you are, you'll see God do great things. Father, once again, we see, see these paradoxes and, 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 Lord, these things that can seem so opposite, but we see in your kingdom how they fit together. And, Lord, I pray that we would embrace these things into our lives, that we would be a people, Lord, that are humble, that we would be a people who are willing to drink of that drink, that, that cup, Lord, of, of dying to self for the benefit of others. And so, Father, we just thank you for tonight. I pray, Father, for these who have come out, that you would go before them, that you would bless them in the remainder of the week. And, Lord, we just look forward to the time that we're able to get back together this Sunday morning. So, Father, we just thank you and praise you for all of your goodness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Well, again, last Sunday night was a blessing, but we're moving forward. We have our Christmas season that is coming up. We're having ladies' teas or desserts. I'm not never sure which one it exactly is. But um, just keep all up in prayer as, as, uh, as we're moving forward. This Sunday, we're having our young theologians give their memory verse. So I encourage you to come out and support them. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the week.
Lord. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the week.